okay? Proverbs chapter 22. This proverb that we're going to look at this morning, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm, I believe that there are probably a number of you that have a certain verse in Proverbs 22 marked or circled or underlined. Does anybody think they know what verse I'm talking about? Say it again. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Very familiar where the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's repeat that verse again together. One, two, three. Train up a child. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Proverbs 22. And we recognize this morning that Proverbs 22 has way much more than a verse that we would isolate and pull out and only get that truth from this passage. So today, my prayer is that you'll help us, help me rightfully divide the word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Time change Sunday. So much easier in the fall to, to go to bed knowing that you're getting an extra hour rather than going forward. How many of you at least once or twice during the night checked your clocks or your phone or something to see what time it was? Okay, I, I, we must be weird. Renee sleeps on the clock side in our room. So here's what I would do, Ken. Hey, what time is it? I would wake her up to tell me what time it was. Or I would go, Alexa, what time is it? And Alexa would belt it out. And I, I found out that you can go, Alexa, what time is it? And Alexa would go, it's 3.45. Here's my question to the church this morning. What time is it in your life? Right here, right now. What time is it in your life for something to change? Kyla, good to see you home from school. Freshly back from a mission trip. What time is it in your life to change? What, what time is it where God wants to do something new? What time it is in your life where you need to lay something down? What time is it where you need a new start. And I'm telling you, God is the one who can make that happen, not necessarily a clock that you move a hand an hour forward. So in Proverbs chapter 22, I want to begin with looking at the first five verses because I really believe this chapter has more than verse six in it, amen? And here's what the Bible says. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but a simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from it. Far from it. Solomon begins chapter 22 by mentioning a good name. I want you to circle a good name. And there are three things that we see about a good name. First of all, it's picked. The Bible says a good name is chosen. It's something that you choose. Last week, I asked you to pray for our niece, Beth. Sheila's youngest. And uh, she was induced on a Saturday night a week ago 
but didn't deliver till Monday. So you moms know all about that. And uh, we knew a boy was coming, amen? And, And I want you to understand what I'm telling you this morning. We knew a boy was coming. But, but they never discussed the name. And in discussing the name, we, we all speculated. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Jordan is daddy. Surely they wouldn't name him after Uncle Greg. And we, we began, Renana, we began to guess. We began to throw around names like, like James and John and uh, Bill and Fred. And finally, the day of name choosing came. Wells, McKenzie, Livingston. Wells. So I, I'm, t- I'm telling Beth, oh, I'm going to have a good time with that. Prince of Wales. Uh, Wales. A name that was chosen. Um, maybe you're here today and as parents and as a, maybe a mother you, you had the baby and you had your name picked out prior to birth or maybe you chose after the baby was born. But in essence, what you did was you chose a name that they would wear for the rest of their life. That's who they would be identified as. You see, I believe when you look at chapter 22, verse one, we need to be reminded this morning that a good name is to be chosen. And I don't necessarily believe Solomon is talking about a name that you're given at birth. I believe he's talking about who you are. I believe he's talking about character and content and integrity and living a life that has a good reputation and people see Christ. It's something that we should want. It's something that we choose. It's a pick. But in this verse, there's also a priority in which it's given. Look, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Now, us old folks this morning, uh, you you might think that as a young person in school or in high school getting ready to graduate or a college student or someone who's thinking about getting married or possibly what's your next career move, are we gonna have kids, any of that when you're young, you might think that that's, that's pressure that no one understands. I'm here to tell you when you get older, you have pressure on you. It might be a different kind. But you begin to think about things like this. And, and you'll say, really, Greg, I, what about you? How long does God want me to be your pastor? When are you gonna get tired of me? When are we gonna want new, fresh energy? Uh, can we afford to retire? Anybody wanna say amen? Uh, but, uh, our identities are tied to, to our jobs often, and, and when we step out of it, we think that like we're gonna lose who we are. And let me tell you something, your identity is in Christ. And the Bible says it should be a priority for you to choose a good name. Uh, at the ball game the other night, my dad jumped all over the uh, Preble Shawnee bandwagon. And I love the fact that uh, he could go to these games with us and we'd pick him up, we'd get there real early, crowds were crazy. And uh, the other night, a fellow named Ray Naylor, who is a basketball referee, also was my dad's substitute. My dad was a a school custodian. And Ray Naylor, Allen was his sub. You guys know what I'm talking about. And he saw dad. 
And, and you'd have thought, man, he sees a movie star. To the point where uh, we walked out once, and on the way back, Ray grabbed him, handed his phone to another guy, and said, here, take my picture with Fred. Click, took his picture. And when Dad got back to his seat, I said, Dad, I can just imagine folks that don't know you thinking, who's that famous coach who's here at the game? Many of us have been treated well because we had parents who blazed the path. Listen to me. Of kindness and friendship. Anybody want to say amen? And I thank the Lord for that. But you and I individually, listen, we can't rest on our parents' and our grandparents' laurels. Just like being saved, you're not going to heaven because your papa was a preacher. That's wonderful. You're not going to heaven because your, your uh, parents were the most faithful members of this church for 50 years. That's wonderful. But it, there comes a point where you have to make the decision. And you've got to decide who you are in Christ. And the Bible says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. There's a pick, there's a priority, but there also has to be passion because the Bible says loving favor rather than silver and gold. So when we seek the things of God, when we desire to please the Lord, there's going to be some contentment and some peace and some joy that big paychecks will not give you or a diploma on the wall. Uh, listen to me, students. If you're chasing fulfillment in education, you will ultimately maybe get what you're achieving, and then you will come to this big question. What's next? If you're chasing fulfillment in your, your job or your salary, and you achieve everything that you've always dreamed of, Without Jesus, I really believe the vacuum will lead to the question, what's next? What's next? Now, we move to verse 2. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker. The Lord is the maker of them all. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 13, the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. And you might be here today and you feel like, well, I'm rich. And you may be spiritually poor. You may be here today and you say, I don't have anything, but you have Jesus. I'm telling you, you have everything you need. And the good news is found in Christ. It's not found in a denomination. It's not found in a bunch of doing. It's found in knowing. And let me tell you, when you know him, when it comes out, you're going to be wanting to serve him. That's the thing that God can do in your life. Now, let me give you a few things. When you look at verse 2, the Bible says the rich and the poor have this in common, okay? Let me remind you this morning that the ground is level. And the ground is level, first of all, in creation. I want you to take your Bible and turn to chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. If you're with me so far, say amen. Okay. Chapter Chapter 2, verse 21, the Bible says, And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to a man. And Adam said, 
This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, I want to remind you this morning that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Uh, Before we get to the cross, we recognize creation. And the ground is level. God created man and God created woman. As a matter of fact, God defines marriage. And he defines it here, this union between man and woman. Now, listen to me. To share that news in 2023 America, it's an unpopular thing. It's an unpopular thing. We live in such an anti-Christian climate right now. The Texas Tech head basketball coach, I believe his last name is Adams, recently resigned his job from a very successful program because in meeting with his team, he quoted Colossians about how a slave is to respond to their master. Well, when you look at that passage in Colossians, it talks about how a worker is to respond to to the boss. But yet, some organizations got so bent out of shape about that that they were going to press charges against the school. They relieved him uh, for an interim time, and he finally said, maybe it's time for me to go. Folks, I want to tell you something. When it comes to creation of man and when it comes to creation of woman, God has been very, very clear. When it comes to marriage... God is clear. Now, you'll say, well, Brother Greg, to say that, to say that is unloving. No, to not say it is unloving. To not say it is unloving because, listen, the ground is level in creation. God created you specially for his glory. You'll say, what do you mean? Go to Psalms chapter 139. Most of the time, when I do a wedding, for instance, Levi and Bailey, when we did your wedding, I believe we may have started with these verses, okay? Psalm 139, look at the first five verses. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you're acquainted with all of my ways. For there's not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before, and you've laid your hand upon me. Look at verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Jump down to verse 13. For you formed me. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. Now look at me. God created you uniquely special. Your DNA doesn't match anybody else's. But I'm telling you, for us that are believers in Christ this morning, there is a scarlet thread of redemption that is running through the blood of every believer sitting here. And that's what draws us together. So folks, listen. The world will say, change the truth so that I feel better about my life. 
or my lifestyle. Accommodate me. I want First Southern to be uh, the lost person's best friend. Folks, the best friend you can be to somebody who doesn't know Jesus is to share the truth that the word of God reminds us is there. What we do is, is we're, we're a nation of opinion. That's why people get mad at each other all the time. We just fire off our opinions as if we don't care. Let me tell you something. God loved you so much, he made the ground at the foot of creation level. Level. But yet the ground of the cross is level too. Aren't you glad for that? Can you quote this with me? John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. John three sixteen. For God so loved the See, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Some of you feel like, oh, I'm rich and I've got it all. I don't have anything. Let me tell you something. When you come to Christ, the first thing you have to recognize is you don't have anything. Well, I've got a good name. Praise the Lord. But do you have Jesus? The most important thing. But I would hope that the ground is also level in First Southern Camden. Why are you saying, Brother Greg, that everyone would be treated lovingly? Uh, I think in our prayer this morning, everybody that comes, we prayed, everybody that comes deserves the best of the praise team. Everybody that comes deserves a Bible-preached message. And the ground is level. And I want to ask you, do you treat everybody the same? Oh, I've got my core of friends, Brother Greg. Then maybe it's time to branch out a little bit. Ken and Donna are sitting in right field. If you were to ask me earlier in the service, I would have said Ken and Donna were not at church today because they weren't in left field. But there they are. But there they are. You see, when the ground is level in the body of Christ, God can do something. When we recognize our need, when we recognize we're the poor in spirit, meaning we have absolutely nothing to pay, we're reminded that God has something to work with. There's a song by the Old Paths Quartet. It goes like this. Sunday morning underneath a steeple can look like a bunch of perfect people. But underneath the suits and dress clothes and the smiles and the smiling eyes are folks who walk through some bad times, just looking for a home, a place to belong, a little peace, a little hope, and thankful that these old doors still swing open for the no bodies and the could have beens, the disillusioned and the doubters, every life train wrecked by sin, every down and outer. For the lonely and the one who's weak, the fool hearted with a stubborn streak, for the soul who doesn't even know what they need, for the mixed up, messed up, broken people like me, like me. Last summer, we were fishing, and Drew got a fish hook stuck in his finger to the point where it wouldn't rip it out. We're going to have to go to the hospital. So we went, and they took, gave him a little shot and took it out, and we thought, boy, we did the right thing until the bill came for the emergency room. And Renee said, you should have went to urgent care. And I said, you weren't there during the trauma. Folks, let me tell you something. 
a Bible preaching, gospel preaching, community reaching church sometimes isn't an urgent care fix. I realized in the day in which we live, you all could have easily stayed home, Cody, and listened and watched to much better preachers. I know that. Who, when they do their website, it's like a national telecast quality. I know that. But I also can assure you that when it comes to your point of need, that pastor probably is not going to be available. You know who will be? Your church. We're not perfect, but we recognize that God's called us to be the place for his glory for such a time as this, to love each other and to love those who are not yet Christ believers. And that's why it's so important for you to live your faith before those who don't know Christ. Look at verse three. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but a simple man, a simple pass on and are punished. The picture here is wise and foolish. The simple are those who are easily fooled or seduced, okay? So I wanna remind you this morning to wear the label of having a good, a good name before God and before others. And I really believe if, you, if you're living your life for Christ, listen, he'll handle the horizontal relationships in your life. But you've gotta make sure your relationship with Christ is right. Don't try to fix yourself. Don't, don't try to... Um, you know what, what has really become a problem probably for doctor visits, for doctors and nurses, is the internet. Because we, we look at something on the internet and all of a sudden we're experts at what that is. And we go into the office and we tell them what it is. Anybody want to say amen? You know, we tell them what it is. I had a problem with, with our uh, trailblazer we used to have and I, I Googled what the problem was and lo and behold, it showed me exactly what was happening. So when I took it down to the garage, I handed the, the printout to the mechanic. And he looks at me like, uh, preacher, how long you been doing cars? And I realized he was saying, thanks, we'll take this into advisement, but you're still gonna pay us $90 for us to look at it, okay? Wear the label of having a good name. Be the man and woman of God that he's called you to be. Verse six, here we go. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, before you think this doesn't apply to our family because he's referring to boys, he's referring to your children. The word train is to put something in a baby's mouth to help affect and get them going in nursing or eating. An Arabic term where they used to take date syrup. You all been there where you just try to whet their appetite, try to get them going. Uh, I remember when uh, Jordy was little, we thought, he's never gonna talk. He hasn't stopped since he started. Uh, traditionally, this verse can really, listen, this verse can lay a guilt trip on people that doesn't necessarily need to receive it. Traditionally, it was the promise that good parents 
ultimately would be assured that their children would live godly lives, and if somehow that doesn't happen, you've dropped the ball as a parent, and your duty hasn't been fulfilled. That's as far away from the truth as it possibly can be. How, do you, how can you say that, Brother Greg? Because I know we've got good parents in our church, and some of your kids aren't serving the Lord. And you did everything you could do. Friend, I want to tell you, there comes a time when your daughter and your son make their own decisions, and they'll be accountable for that. But this training goes beyond teaching or simply imparting knowledge to your kids. You ready? It's motivating them. And here's the big one. And it's modeling for them what godly lives look like. Uh, we're gonna have a baby dedication on Mother's Day. Jot that down. A baby dedication really is not necessarily for the baby. It's for the parents who are saying, we'll do our best to raise them in a godly home. Maybe you're here today and you were baptized as an infant. You were sprinkled, okay? Thank the Lord for parents that loved you enough to give you to God. But that had nothing to do with your salvation. And I want to remind you, when you give your life to Christ, we baptize by immersion. What's that? That's submerging. That's, that's the Bible word. That's why we do it. Symbolic of your commitment to Christ and what he's done for you. Now, look at uh, chapter 22. Look at ver jump down to verse 18. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you. Let them all be fixed upon your lips so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. So as a parent, what you're modeling is that your trust is in the Lord. Now, Brother Greg, I, I've done everything that we can. We've done everything we can as a, as a parent, and it just doesn't seem good enough. Well, I want to take you uh, back to a story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. And if you recall, there came to the, the, the changing, the climatic event in the prodigal's life came when he found, he, he found himself, he recognized where he was. He recognized he was the cause of the problem. He began to think about home and all of a sudden dad's counsel and how dad took care of him at home. He began to picture the servants of his father living a better life than he was living now when he thought he knew it all. Hey, you may be raising teenagers and they think they know it all. Just stand there and shake your head while they talk because there'll come a day when they'll, they'll want your advice as a parent because they're living the very same thing that they lived through with you as their own. And here's what I love about the prodigal, the father. The Bible doesn't say when the prodigal gets there that he says, I told you so. You made your own bed, you lie in it. You're not welcome here. The Bible says he was looking for him. He was looking for him. Someone took a picture of me and Drew the other day and said, you walk just the same. Well, couldn't, would you recognize your son or daughter's gait as they come across the field? And the closer they get, the bigger they get. Brad, all of a sudden, Ken says, hey, that's Brad. Donna says, make no mistake, that's him. Here he comes. He's coming home. 
The father didn't say, I told you so. The father was lovingly accepting him home. Listen, the self-righteous came from the other brother who didn't miss, on, miss out on anything the father had promised him, but he couldn't understand why the party was being thrown for a brother who messed up everything. Dedicate your kids early. Train them early. Whet their appetite for the things of God. Let them come to Bible school. Let them come to Wednesday night kids' activities. Let them sing in a choir. Let them be part of what God's doing. <coughs> Motivate and model. If you're with me, say amen. <coughs> Translation for in the way he should go literally is according to his way. And to do nothing, parents, with a strong-willed child is simply to lay a foundation for them to live a self-willed life. Life. Now, let me give you some references, okay? Jot these down. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod of rebuke gives wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Parents, don't you ever apologize for disciplining your kids, but make sure your discipline is always done in love. Remember, I said this a few weeks ago. Big difference in abuse and discipline. Big difference in abuse and discipline. Maybe you discipline your kids and all of a sudden you find yourself in the principal's office at school. You share with that principal what the object of that discipline was. What your heart's desire is. We live in a day now where kids, listen, get in trouble at school no longer get in trouble at home and will bring mom and dad to school with them and all of a sudden the school feels like the one who's caused the problem. We live in a day where someone gets arrested and it's law enforcement's problem. Folks, I'm here to tell you, you will not pay a price for doing what's right other than obtaining a good name. You know, the Bible says all we like sheep have gone astray. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We're separated from God. The Bible tells us in the book of Judges that judges were given because there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Man, alive, are we not living that right now? So what about my adult children, Brother Greg? You don't get it, preacher. You're out of touch. Let me give you some suggestions. Don't give up on them, number one. Don't you give up on them. Some of you parents could settle it right here today by just dialing, picking up a phone after you leave church. Well, I haven't talked to them in a year. I'm so mad at them. Well, why don't you give them a call and say, preacher, preach the message today. You know, we raised you. We thought we, we did the best we can. I know you weren't pleased with how we raised you, but we did the best we can. Don't give up on them. Don't you quit praying for them. 
join hands with your spouse or, or friends or neighbors and lift up your loved ones and your kids to the Lord and say, God, help them. Help them see the importance of living for you. Number, uh, another one, as you give them to the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to convict their heart. God can do things you cannot do. Anybody in here stubborn? Huh? Oh, quit, quit thinking about your spouse. And anybody just, just stubborn to the nth degree, if it's going to happen, they're going to be the one to make it happen? They're going to come crawling back to me? Boy, I wonder how many times the Lord feels like that when it comes to us. Encourage them. Motivate them. Model for them what Jesus looks like. Now, a label is the name. The motive is love. Love your kids. Love your family. Say, Brother Greg, they've broken my heart. Man, I, I, I hate that. But we live in a fallen world. We live on this side of heaven. There are going to be many broken hearts. But don't ever let that steal the love you have for those that God has given you. Um, listen to me carefully. Mike Bowling says this in a song. Love the people that God gives you because one day he'll want them back. He'll want them back. And I'll close with this. I want you to jump all the way down to verse 28. Labels love and landmarks. Do not remove the ancient landmark which your fathers have set. Well, we're familiar with landmarks today, right? Um, I mean, if you give us directions to some place or somewhere, I, I, our building is probably a landmark to many people. Oh, you know, go to the little town, church on the corner. Um, I mean, I pray they would say that, right? Not our, our, our little town, gas stations on both corners. Landmark. Um, prior to GPSs and prior to, prior to Google Maps on your phone, we depended on things that would tell us where to turn. I mean, I tell you the truth, I love the fact that this person that doesn't even know me says, uh, 800 feet, prepare to turn right. Amen? And then I love the fact that I'm married to somebody who, after I drive four miles, will say, your turn signal's still on. Remove, don't remove the ancient landmarks. Let me tell you something. This has something to say to us today. When the Israelites inherited the promised land, God allotted each tribe a place to settle and a place to dwell, and he gave them an inheritance, a certain amount of land that was not divided by a fence, but by landmarks. And they were usually large piles of stone on the ground that would show a property line. And God gave stern warning to the children of Israel concerning the landmarks. Listen to Deuteronomy 19, 14. Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God gives thee to possess. And then in Deuteronomy 27, 17, curse be he that removes his neighbor's landmark. And all the people said, amen. They were 
to remain undisturbed, not just for that generation, but for the generations to come. Brothers and sisters, we are living in a day where culture wants to move the landmarks. And I wanna remind you what are some landmarks in our Christian faith that cannot be moved? The first is the word of God. Aren't you glad this morning when you got up that you knew you were coming to church and that we were gonna have a Bible to open and preach and to study and to read? The word of God. It's a landmark. Many people say, well, you just take what you want and you throw out the rest. Let me tell you something. The Bible says every word of God is pure. It's a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Let me tell you what else is a landmark that cannot be removed, cannot be moved. That Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved. And that it's his blood that covers our sin. Those are landmarks. And I tell you, we live in a day where we've got preachers who never give an invitation, never call people to respond. We live in a day where some say, hey, take any sign of the cross out of the sanctuary because it's offensive to people who do not believe. Let me tell you something. Uh, the Bible says, I believe 1 Corinthians, that the cross is a divider. And, and, and to tell you the truth, it's divided us this morning. You're either saved or lost. You're not a little saved and a little lost, you're either saved or lost. You're either all saved or you're not. It's a landmark that cannot be moved. And we live in a day, who would ever think we live in a day where people say anything goes and if you don't accept who I am or how I've changed myself at creation or what I think of the traditional marriage, then, then we're just gonna redefine it. No, we, we don't have authority to redefine it. What we have in this word is a God who loved us so much that instead of letting us go to hell, has made a way for us to be forgiven and saved. Man, I, I'm grateful for that. And I know I don't always live like that. And I know sometimes I don't, I don't emphasize that enough in our church. The most grateful people in the world should be you believers this morning, us. Maybe your life feels so heavy that you can't, you just feel like, what am I gonna do? I don't wanna live this way forever. Maybe it's, maybe, it's time, maybe it's the time of change for you to just say, God, would you do a fresh work in me? Labels, love, and landmarks. That's what God wants us to be about. Every head bowed, every eye closed.